I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 154. Very exciting, just barreling through these uh, these Oscar-nominated films. <laughs> last week, we talked about, now I don't recall, Room? Was Room last week? No. Or was that two weeks ago? What was last week? Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies. That's the one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, unsurprisingly, I forgot because <laughs> there's a lot to like about Bridge of Spies, but it's just not a film that has uh, remained in my mind. But anyway, yes. So thank you to Josh for being a part of the Bridge of Spies episode. Uh, you would think I would be able to keep that in mind, but no, my co-host Reed Lackey. Reed, <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, doing great. Uh, yeah, Reed was the one that had to let me know. No, the room one was two weeks ago. Last week was was bridge of spies so thank you everybody for bearing with me there um yeah uh next week we will not be talking about a recent uh oscar nominee we will be talking we will be going back into our best of pictures mode we will be talking about the best picture of 1969 a movie that as of the recording right now i have not yet seen oh which is midnight cowboy Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so this is very exciting for me. So the next two best pictures, 68 and 69, I have not seen. What was 68 again? Oliver. Oh, I haven't seen There's that. There's an exclamation either. point at the end. So there I is. You have to yell it. Yeah. So I need to see both of those. And then, so the week after that, we will actually also, Josh and I will be recording about whatever wins best picture this year. Mm. And it has quickly turned into a three horse race. And oh. It's such an interesting one. It is between the big short, mm-hmm. which won the producers guild. Mm-hmm. The Revenant, which won Directors Guild, and Spotlight, which won the Ensemble Actors Guild. Interesting. And so uh, there's a history of those three things being predictors of Best Picture. Wow. But there's often some overlap between them. This year, there is not. So who's to say? Wow. And if the, ba- if the BAFTAs are any indication, then it's looking like it's going to be a Revenant kind of night, wow. which would then make... Uh, uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Senorito, the first director to win uh, d- best director two years in a row uh, for like 65 years. Interesting. The last one was Joseph Mankiewicz, and then before that was John Ford, to give oh. you any indication of how wow. long ago it was. Yeah. So Jeez, John Ford. Yeah, so that's kind of amazing. But, um, but yeah, so that is what we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks. And then in early March, I will be talking about the film Hail Caesar, which I cannot wait to talk about. I wish that we weren't in the middle of Oscar season because I mm. want so badly to talk about it. Uh, so, okay, a couple of announcements real quick. Number one, uh, I mentioned this last week about Reed's review of the film bone tomahawk but since talking about that i have seen bone tomahawk and it is amazing i love it so much i think it is a film that is almost perfect if you are a fan of westerns i think you will enjoy it there are also definite horror elements to it i'm not sure if i would have i would say that if you're a horror fan you will like it i don't know if that's the case yeah i would agree with that i think it's more for people who who are attuned to westerns yeah yeah but if you are an open-minded horror fan and, mm-hmm. you're, and you're willing to engage with it where you can uh i'd say look into bone tomahawk it is i am often on the edge of my seat but it is primarily a western keep that yeah. in mind uh but yeah so you can find reed's written review of it at more than one lesson.com and then i also wanted to say this uh 
So a friend of mine, his name is Wade Williams. He is an actor and a musician. I met him in Florida at the International Christian Film Festival. He was at, at the awards show. He was uh, the, I don't know what you'd call it, the opening act. I don't know if you have opening acts at, a, at an awards show, but he sang several songs at the, at the beginning of the show and then the awards started. And listeners know what I did at the awards, which is I went off script for a solid five minutes longer than I was supposed to. Uh, but the crowd was really responsive. And literally from the time it took me to finish what I was saying and then get off stage and walk to the back of the room, I immediately had a Facebook friend request from Wade Williams, uh, who was in the crowd and was very, and he talked to me afterwards. Uh, he was very excited about the stuff that I had to say. And in the months since then, he and I have spoken on the phone. Uh, he, he sought my advice about, uh, uh, an acting job that he had been offered. Wow. So he's a, he's a really great guy. And he, his philosophy of film, even though he's acted in a lot of Christian film, it's clear that he has a lot of the same problems with it that I do. Mm. And he wants to try and fix it where he can, uh, as an actor. And so he's a guy that I really admire. And I, and so what I'll say is that recently he actually suffered a, a brain aneurysm mm. and was in a coma for a while. And he is and had to have brain surgery and so he has come out of that he is he is awake he is conscious it looks like he's going to have a full recovery it will be slow mm -hmm. but he will have a full recovery um but there are of course medical bills to my knowledge he was insured but there are medical bills not to mention the fact that he will not be able to work for a while so yeah. there is a gofundme for him uh and so I have a, I have a, a link to that. I will have it in, in the no, the show notes for this episode, but then you'll also find it just at more than one lesson.com. It'll probably be the post right before the, this one or right after this one. And, um, yeah. So if you, if you felt like supporting Wade, from what I've heard, there is a, a service fee. I've never used GoFundMe before. I contributed money in a different capacity. Hmm. But um, there's a service fee that I didn't know about. If you want to look into that, um, you can. But if any, every little bit helps. Uh, so if you can contribute, please do. Uh, he He's a really great guy, and he is looking to do some good things in the world of Christian film. Uh, it's a shame that this happened when it did, because he was getting a certain project off the ground that I actually can't talk about, but he get, he sent me the script. I had to sign an agreement that I wouldn't talk about it, but I'm excited about it. I'm very excited wow. about it. And hopefully now, obviously it will, everything got pushed back, but hopefully he'll be able to get this off the ground and I will be very excited if, and when he does. So, uh, so help him out. His name's Wade Williams. He's a great guy, and uh, and I would really appreciate it personally. So, okay. So we've talked about Bone Tomahawk. We've talked about Wade Williams, and I would say I'm passionate about each of them equally. Uh, as much as I want you to uh, to contribute to Wade's GoFundMe, uh, I equally want you to spend money and watch Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> you owe it to yourself. So here's what I'll say: you contribute money to Wade, and then as a way of as a way of uh, rewarding yourself for being such a good person, you go watch Bone Tomahawk. You owe yourself a treat. Yes. Oh yeah. A that... very intense treat. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, okay. So the film that we are talking about today 
is directed by Pete Doctor and Ronnie Del Carmen, and it is Inside Out. Mm-hmm. It is a Pixar film, and there's a lot to there's a lot to talk about. I don't want this episode to be super long, partially because we're recording it a little bit uh, later in the evening, and uh, and. There's so much to talk about with mm-hmm. the film. There are so many things you can delve into, and I don't necessarily want to go down every single path. Um, so I will just talk about it in a, in a broad sense first um, and talk about my expectation of it. By the time I saw it, um, it had really been built up. People were talking about it, made them cry. The, the, they just thought it was really genius the way it was. It was uh, dealing with certain things. You know, for those that don't know, and I don't know why you would be listening to this if you don't know, but it is uh, the events happening inside the head of a little girl, where her various emotions are are personified, and as she goes, as her family moves to a new place, and she's trying to figure out the the complexities of that emotionally and logistically uh you see that a lot of her emotions are dealing with stuff uh dealing with the stuff for the first time and there's a lot of breakdown going on and they're trying to cope with that so that seemed like a really neat idea um there's this there's this meme going around uh about pixar movies that like toy story uh toys have emotions uh a bug's life bugs have emotions and cars have emotions you know fish have emotions then it goes through and it says inside out emotions have emotions <laughs> and so uh it, it's just very it, you know uh, pixar is eating itself now um so i had heard wonderful things about it it sounded like a great premise by the time I saw it, I think maybe it had been built up a bit too much. I was a little bit, not even let down, because I still I still had emotional responses to it and all that, but it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be or what, I, what it had been billed as. And I think I had to re-manage my expectations um, because I recognized that I was looking for a level of complexity that I, as an adult, could engage with uh, to the fullest failing to remember that this is also for children. And while, and looking at, looking at that, it's remarkably complex, remarkably mature, uh, and unwilling to talk down to children. And so that's kind of amazing. But for an adult who has seen movies that deal with this kind of thing, it was a little bit simplistic so I was holding it to a different standard, failing to remember that, oh, right, this is for the whole family, which means kids need to be able to keep up with it as well. So along those lines, once I was able to sort of manage my reaction, I realized, oh, on that level, it's actually very good and very effective and very uncompromising. Um, there are a couple of there are a couple of things, individual scenes, individual lines that I hate Oh, interesting. Hate. Hate. Wow. And that's not a thing I say lightly. I understand. And so because I've had that big of a reaction to them, I will talk about them in a moment. But those certainly have not kept me from embracing the film. It is not in my top 10. I think it's in my top 20 somewhere uh, of 2015. But but there's a lot in the movie to love. And I mean a lot to, and I do genuinely love a lot about the film. Um, 
but yeah, it, so it's, I go back and forth about it. I, I, I realized that I just talked about how it didn't meet my expectations and there's stuff about that I hate, but by and large, I'd give it a solid B plus, uh, maybe even an A minus. And some people seem to think that that is somehow sacrilegious, that it's an A plus, obviously. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, read your thoughts. Okay. Well, I should say right out the gate that it is not only in my top 10, it is my favorite movie of 2015. Oh, all right. Yeah, it is. It is my number I will try one. To convince you to hate it a little bit. Okay, that's that. Good luck with that. So, basically, what what it was for me, I should cl- uh, clarify a couple of personal touches. There is also some familial uh, emotional weight to it. It was my son's first film to see in the theater. Mm. And he did he did a great job sitting there and watching it. Um, my wife connected very strongly, particularly with the character of sadness. Um, and so so our our household has become pretty obsessed with obsessed might not, might be a little strong word, but maybe not um, with just in general. Uh, you know, my son loves. He's got all of the little plush animals. He's got yeah. you know all five of the of of the core emotions. And don't you have a Bing Bong shirt? I have a Bing Bong shirt. I have. Uh, it's a good looking shirt, by the way. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite shirts. Um, and uh, and and we should say uh, if I say little else about this movie, uh, I think a tremendous amount of why I love the movie so much is because of the character of Bing Bong. Oh yeah, because I think Bing Bong, uh, and, I, and I can get into more of this a little bit later. But I Bing Bong is. I have thought about this a lot. I do not say this flippantly. Bing Bong is my favorite animated character to come out of a Disney property ever. Um, in in the history of Disney animated films, he is he is my favorite. What about um, Flounder? <laughs> Flounder from uh, Little Mermaid. Well, he's cute. He's adorable. I'm joking, of course. He's a nothing character. <laughs> he's, he's, he's yellow. I, I decided he's... to pick one. I mean, there's definitely uh, something to him, but I decided to go with a character that no one would ever, ever cite as their favorite character. <laughs> His favorite character ever. You know, that Scuttles got a lot to offer. You know what? Scuttles, vo- it's vo- he's voiced by Buddy Hackett. Yeah. There's actual yeah, humor yeah. to him. Sure. I could see someone coming away saying, oh yeah, I, I like Scuttle. Yeah. No one would ever say Flounder, ever. <laughs> well, I should... I I should say that the character Bing Bong unseated had reigned for you know almost two decades, but that was Rafiki from oh, The okay, Lion fair King. Enough. You know, this um, is a fun. Co- oh, <sighs> I've, you're gonna Listen, make a list now, aren't listeners. <laughs> I realize you can't respond to me, but is it okay with you if we spend just about three minutes? talking about our favorite Disney characters of all time. Cause this is not a thing I've thought about. Oh, uh, wow. at least not for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Now it's tough. Cause you say Disney property. And so that means that includes include Pixar, Pixar yeah. as well. I have so, to have Bing Bong's my favorite. Okay. So. Now I'm not suggesting we make a list cause that's cause I, 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 I need time to think about. Yeah. This. Yeah. Okay. As would I, we will get back to inside out in a moment. Listeners. I apologize. Hopefully you take as much pleasure in this as I am about to. <laughs> So, okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back and forth. Okay. All right. I will no say problem. one, then you'll say one. And then we'll go, we'll, we'll get to, we'll go until we get to like 10 each. Okay. All right. All right. I, can, I can live with that. Okay. So you said, okay, so you've got Bing Bong. Bing Bong is definitely number one. Okay. These ranks may change, but Bing Bong is definitely my number one. Okay. So I, I don't think I'm going to be in a position to uh, rank, but I sure. would say, in contention for number one 
is the Cheshire Cat. Oh, yes. From Alice in Wonderland. That's a good one. He's up there. Mm -hmm. Um, If I did not collect Riddler merchandise, it's entirely possible I would collect Cheshire Cat merchandise and arguably similar character. Yeah. Different color scheme, but a very similar type of character. Um, Okay. So, then Rafiki. Yeah, so Raviki would be number two because he'd been number one for a long time. So I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna land with him at number two. Uh, I would say um, for a number of reasons, and I and I think I might actually get away from this a little bit. Um, he was my one, he was obviously my favorite when I was a kid, but I think I have moved away from him, which is Captain Hook. Oh yes, and I think the reason I've moved away from him is because they too often go to him as a comedic character, which I think lessens the threat. A little oh, bit. Sure. Just sure. a little bit. Um, and because the two are so connected, I will go ahead and connect him with the crocodile, which has mm. wonderful music associated with it, a wonderful oh, character yeah. design, and re- and a surprising amount of character as well. So, okay. So, mine is Captain Hook and the Crocodile. Okay. Next for you. Okay. So, I'm, I'm going to go from this point because I honestly haven't ranked beyond the top two. So, what I'm going to go from this point is just the first characters that come to mind. The sure. very next one that came to mind is actually not a film I love as much as I did, but I still love the character, and that's Prince John from um, Robin Hood. Really? Yeah. Interesting. The, the I do love Peter Ustinov. I can yeah. listen to him all day. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. I, I, I think he's... he's a wonderful villain in that what you complained about with Captain Hook I think works perfectly for Prince John no question about because he's absolutely not a threat in, yeah. the, in the slightest and needs to be as comically absurd as he possibly can be yes. so I love him alright for me I will say next is Radigan Professor Radigan oh from yeah Great from Great uh, a lot of these are going to be villains by the way <laughs> <laughs> almost all of them yeah that's interesting uh, yeah, Some price. Are you kidding me? Like that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Great right. design, great, uh, wonderfully written, and just a uh, just. And Vincent Price getting it. Mm-hmm. So many of these can be boiled down to a marvelous audio performance. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a huge selling point for these, is because it, 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 what the vocal actor brings to the character. I mean, that brings the character to life entirely. Um, okay. So the, the, the very next one that came into my head, probably because you mentioned rat again, and I associate great mouse detective with this other film a lot. Um, and that's Gurgi from the black cauldron, which I don't know if I have seen since I was very, very young. I could not tell you any character names or anything like that. He's the, he's the fluffy little munchies and crunchies guy who, who, who basically, you know, what endears me to him is that he's the hugest annoyance for like the bulk of the film, but ultimately saves the day, which I, I love that. Okay. Next for me is probably Eeyore. Oh, Eeyore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's I a feel good like one. if you put the Cheshire Cat and Eeyore together, I think you get me. Um, <laughs> that's so great. But yeah, so oh, I Jen and I have, are big fans of Eeyore. Okay. So. Um, well, this is, a, this is another... I haven't been counting, by the way. Sorry. I have. It's okay. We're okay. up to five. All so right. so I, and since I started, so my fifth. Um, the next one that comes to mind is honestly uh, is um, Mad Madam Mim from... Uh, from and actually... Even as soon as I verbalize her, I I don't know if it's her or Merlin that I love most because what I love is their battle. Yeah, the that, wizard's duel. Yeah, the wizard's duel in um, in the Sword and the Stone is so magnificent, and mm-hmm. so I'm having difficult. I think if I thought more about it, I would be able to classify whether it was Merlin or Mad Madam Mim that I loved more. But I just I, oh, I love the two of them okay. duking it out. That's one of my favorite moments. Uh, 
just because I haven't gone super recent, I'll go ahead and say Anton Ego from oh. Ratatouille. Okay. I think he's amazing. I think he's everything that a critic can be and in some cases should be. Mm-hmm. Um, he can be egotistical and really high on himself. But then he shows that he is able to get past himself when faced with wonderful art. Yeah. Uh, and once again, beautiful designed wonderfully but yes. also beautifully voiced by peter o'toole yeah 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 that is a that is a really good one and thank you because honestly and this is why i'm glad we're not officially holding these ranks i was thinking of classic disney and and i have got to give some love for for woody i know woody is like yeah. the icon of of uh you know all of pixar you know he and buzz are like the figureheads mm-hmm. of all of pixar but i i love the character of woody i love the arcs that the stories take him on i love what they do with him and uh, I had the privilege in our church's Christmas production of playing a version of of Woody, and it was it was delightful. An unofficial version, and, uh, very highly unofficial, but um, but it was delightful. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna probably just the next three are probably gonna be villains, and uh, it's hard to know what order I'll put them in. So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say Scar. Uh, nice. I think Scar is an amazing villain. Once again, voiced great by Jeremy Irons yeah. and the Shakespearean uh, element to him, mm-hmm. I think uh, works really well as sure. well. So Scar yeah. is, and he has w- one of my favorite Disney songs on top of everything. Else. Oh, be prepared. Oh yeah. man, that's wonderful. Um, Again, if we're talking about vocal performances, if I was just going based off of the quality of vocal performances, I don't think there has been a greater one than Robin Williams as the genie. Mm. And uh, I mean, and that's that that's just going based off of pure delight for for a character. And and I don't think it could have been voiced by anybody else. I know that uh, uh, Dave Castan, uh, Dan Castellaneta, um voiced him and of course i love my homer simpson but yeah it's yeah yeah it was robin williams as genie it's so interesting did not even occur to me really yeah wow i mean if honestly if i had a whole list in front of me i would probably i would probably arrive there Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah next for me this in this case it is definitely uh, vocal but also mixed with just wonderful animation and that is ursula Ursula Ooh, yes. is such a w- beautifully designed, just a wonderfully realized character and a wonderfully realized villain. Everything about her, just the way she moves, the way the tentacles move, the way that she's, you know, she's a very large character, but she moves seductively if such mm, a thing is, mm-hmm. is possible. And, and clearly the animators took so much from that vocal performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ursula. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Ursula. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with, oh gosh, I keep thinking of a reason not to include him and i just have to include him and that's jiminy cricket oh okay fair yeah enough. yeah and the reason i f- keep finding a reason not to include him is because i do feel like as a character he's he's a little one note but I, I i just i adore i adore him and i love the idea of of a conscience being your guide so, I don't know. Mm, it's always cute. let it yeah that's yeah, what i say that's true uh what number are we on this is eight the, i just gave my eighth okay so the, so i've got three more Yes. Oh, how exciting. Oh, what will I pick? <laughs> I will pick... I don't necessarily like to go to certain wells too often. Okay. Because uh, I think I'm probably going to wind up doubling up on certain movies. Mm-hmm. And I will go ahead and say Winnie the Pooh. Oh, okay. 
who yeah. man again so much of this is vocal sterling holloway oh. his voice is fascinating mm-hmm. and i did just say the cheshire cat but like yeah. cheshire cat ka and then winnie the pooh it's fascinating that his voice can be so childlike and then so ominous and men and menacing and un and and unsettling like yeah. so much of what um the Cheshire Cat is unsettling, but then just by tweaking it a little bit, Winnie the Pooh becomes the most endearing character you've ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I adore Winnie the Pooh. Um, okay, so uh, the next one that comes to mind for me is a villain, and it would probably be Maleficent. Oh, okay, fair yeah, enough. Just uh, I think she, I, I I love the the how gruesome that whole sequence is i don't think it's i don't think the darkness of sleeping beauty gets as much credit usually people go to dark they'll talk about black cauldron or they'll talk Mm -hmm. about some of the edgier stuff but but sleeping beauty is pretty dark in places (laughs) particularly at the dragon scene yeah yeah oh absolutely uh oh boy okay now i have three there are three characters okay but i need to fit them in two slots yeah this is gonna be difficult uh I have too many villains already, so I'll go. Okay, uh, the Mad Hatter. Mm-hmm. I love everything about him. I love the the line readings, not merely the vocal performance, but also just the cadence and just little things like, like when he talks about, uh, you know, all the things that he's going to put in the White Rabbit's watch. Yeah, and yeah. then someone's like, "Oh, here's butter." It's like butter, obviously, yes. And then he says mustard. He goes mustard. Well, don't let's be silly. And he's like. <laughs> Jam, that's different. That's you know, and just like just the way that it's all so reasonable yeah. to him. I, Again, I Ed Win. Oh no question. Oh, yeah, yeah, just so delightful. All right, there you go. Oh gosh, now I have to pick my last one. Good lord, listeners, I appreciate your indulgence. Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, I'm just gonna go for for listeners' sake and everything else. I'm gonna go with the next one that came to my mind. Um, it is dipping back into a well I've already touched on, but. I'm going to say Archimedes from Sword in the Stone. Interesting. Yeah, I love I love Archimedes, particularly his little when he's so flustered. It's the sometimes when I get flustered in my head, I'm saying it's just I think it's delightful. (laughs) All right, I'll go ahead and say we got a three way tie for ten. All right, and they're all villains. I squeezed in Merlin and Mad Mad Madam M, so I'll let it. I'll allow it. All right, three-way tie for last. Cruella DeVille. Oh, yeah. Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. And McLeach from Rescuers Down Under, voiced wonderfully George by George C. C. Scott. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. I that's, you know, as tends to be the case with me, uh, anytime there's a basic story of good versus evil, uh, the villains are by far the most interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and th- you know what? This has challenged me. I'm definitely going to look at a whole list of, of yeah. Disney movies. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure there are big ones. You know, I like Baloo. I like, you know. Any oh, sure. Characters. Sure. And I love Mr. Incredible and that sort of thing. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and interestingly enough, we didn't, we only named a couple of Pixar characters on there. You named the, the critic from Ratatouille, Woody, and Bing Bong, I think, were our only yeah. represented Pixar characters, yeah. even though Pixar is among my favorite movies that Disney's ever, ever done. I know they're kind of their own thing, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I I almost felt like I had to just pick one 
and then just go back to like real irregular Disney. Yeah. Um, but yeah, listeners, you're welcome to uh, chime in in the comments section and say <laughs> some of your favorite characters. Yes, that's right. I haven't forgotten you were here. Uh, I know it seemed like I did, but I did not. So, okay, back to business. Thank you, everybody, for indulging us. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And I'm sure some of you are tearing out your hair saying, how could you not think of so-and-so? Yeah. How could you oh, not think of, uh, of um, Raja? Oh from, yeah! <laughs> I wanted to pick the flounder of Aladdin or or Iago from uh, well from Iago at least the person again you you keep you say scuttle voiced by one wonderful comedian <laughs> then you go with with another bird voiced by another great yeah, comedian stop going with the icons yeah I have to say uh, you know just some uh, a shout out to my wife I know her number one would would far and away be sadness from inside out which okay. probably effectively brings us back in because yeah. i know i know if she were to say that would be her her favorite character her favorite disney character would probably be sadness from inside out i am now operating on a theory that a person's favorite disney character says a lot about them uh hmm. having not met your your wife i have to assume anybody married to you would be remarkably sad uh, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. I'm sure you're a wonderful husband, whatever. Anyway, um, you know, and Bing Bong just and what he represents, knowing what I know about you, I feel like it makes a lot of sense. There's a, there's a happiness there, a silliness there, a creativity there, but also a deep melancholy. Yeah. And then yeah. I feel like the Cheshire Cat probably says a lot about me. Um <laughs> But maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a theory I just came up with. I, well, I, I think it would probably hold some water. I'll work on it. And uh, Cheshire Cat, uh, quick uh, uh, note of sadness for Alan Rickman, who will voice in his final role, will probably be voicing. Now, he was the Caterpillar. He's not the Cheshire Cat? No, it's Stephen Fry is the Cheshire Cat. Oh, okay. Well, I was mistaken. I well, thought he was wonderful as the, as the Caterpillar. As I, well. th- I had forgotten that because I did see it, but I, f- I thought he voiced. Cheshire Cat. Oh, well, I was mistaken. Uh, Caterpillar's pretty great, too. Richard Hayden. Okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so back to business. Uh, so you love the character of Bing Bong tremendously, yes. and you love the movie in general. Yeah. Oh, not I, I, a yeah. flaw with it. Is that what you're saying? Well, here's the thing is that, that I do not like... I'm curious to hear what your criticisms of are, because okay. as of yet, I have not found criticisms that i think hold water and i'm not saying yours won't okay but the things that people have tended to criticize about this movie like for instance one thing that people criticized about it is they criticized that the humans do not feel fully fleshed out and in my mind my immediate go-to was let's think about the story that they're telling yeah in this situation the human characters whether we like hearing this or not are not people, they're settings. Yeah. Because the story is about the growth of internal emotions. So they don't need to be fully fleshed out, even though we do see glimpses of what is driving the action from yeah. these characters' lives. They don't need to be fully formed. And so I heard somebody criticize that. I heard somebody criticize what are they saying about gender, that there's you know all of the... Uh, people in the mom's head are female. All the people in the dad's head are male, but Riley has both. And to me, my immediate thought was, it's probably just so you would know whose head you were inside at the time Mm -hmm. and probably has nothing to do with a statement about gender. So up to this point, I feel like most of the criticisms that I've 
heard hurled at it have not held much water because I found it to be um, terribly moving. I found it to be a really a really profound experience, and I thought um, I thought it was as I, I don't think it's the greatest thing to come out of Pixar Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my number one would be Toy Story three. My number two would still be Finding Nemo for me, but but I think it's probably a number three for me if I were making the list. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to hear what you what you hated so much about oh my them. Gosh, I have no idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so let's uh, we'll we'll dig into the stuff that we like first, and there's there's a lot there's a lot to talk about, and 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 I don't want to delve into it because I didn't want this episode to be long, and then we decided to take a ten minute detour, <laughs> uh, which is very stupid of me. It was an important detour. I had I think so. I, I love that a stuff. lot of fun. Um, so. Yeah, uh, the, one thing that I enjoy the creativity of it. I enjoy it, whether it be something like a Bug's Life, where you just you see the way people, ad- you know, the characters adapt to their circumstances, or a whole world is basically created where you see, oh, okay, uh, you know, a straw is this in their world or whatever, and in this, it's okay. Well, how would if if a character is an embodiment of one emotion and only one emotion, how would that look? How does memory look? How does deja vu look? How does imagination look in a world where everything that is for us, you know, is a is a chemical situation or or uh, electrons firing or whatever it is in a, in a world where that is a tangible real thing. How would that look? And I think the realization of that, while occasionally a little bit simplistic, I think is a lot of fun. And especially as they're walking through and they're looking at the at you know the like the memory cops or or whatever, um, and they're going through abstract thought mm-hmm. and just the realization of that uh, is something that I enjoy quite a bit uh, because it just it allows the. It allows the writer, again, while I do think it, it is at times a little bit simplifying, um, I think it, it gives the writers a chance to be, to have fun and to be creative with things. Yeah. And I think that is probably my, from an artistic standpoint, uh, thematically, I, there's a lot of things I love about the film, mm-hmm. uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but yeah, artistically, I think just the, the creation of the world and, and the desire to, to delve into it as much as possible. I'll bring up a, another movie, Wreck-It Ralph, which oh, I don't yeah. love. And one of the things that I was frustrated with it about, that I was frustrated about by it, um, was that it goes so it goes to such lengths to ex- to create this world, this the world of video games and all that. But then it spends the vast majority of of it inside this racing game. Mm, mm. And I remember just thinking like, I recognize we need to settle on a location, but do we really have to? It's almost like, it's it's like the third Back to the Future being a Western. Oh, I remember sure. just thinking like, this is all well and good, but you do realize you have a time machine and you could do any number of things, but you opt to take this time travel movie and make it into a Western. <laughs> that seems, <laughs> let's say, short-sighted to me or, or low ambition. Mm. Um, whereas this, I really feel like, while there might be a couple things that I would like to be more complex or whatever, I feel like they do their best to really explore things, whether it be the idea of, even the idea of... Um, you know, the character of, uh, of Riley and, and the boy that she, you know, the, the ideal boy and just, right. the, and then it, it's such a product of, 
you know, Twilight and just all yeah, of these things yeah. about like how uh, the the type of melodrama that a girl that age would engage in and what that what she thinks love is sure romantic love and it looks like this mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that I think is fun and and I think it works so. And then, and I do like a lot of the the writing of the characters, the design of the characters, and and the performance of the characters. Um, so yeah, I'd say for me to to sum up once again, just the conception of the world and the mostly fully realized, uh, full realization of the world. Yeah, I would echo. What all do you love so much about this movie? <laughs> Come on. Well, I would echo all of that, but I do love. Uh, I, I I love that in general it creates some decent metaphors that if you're trying to process, like I, I don't know that everybody would do this, nor do I, nor am I making an endorsement that everybody should do this, but it has been some degree of help at times. I'm not going to say that our you know it's solved parenting for us, but it it has at times been effective to when my son is getting terribly frustrated for me to use language. Like, can you put, can you put joy at the console instead of anger at the console? Can you Hmm. put, can you put somebody else there? And like I said, he's four. So it's not like he suddenly gets it, but at times it's given me some language with which to communicate to him what I want that will be effective for him rather than just don't be so mad, yeah. you know, or something like that. And, uh, he's like, can we, can we let somebody else drive? But then the problem will become, he's like, I'm going to let disgust drive for a little while. I'm like, no, we don't, we don't want <laughs> like, let's, let's not get too deep into this. Um, so I love that the, the general metaphor for how to wrap, uh, complex things in a simple little bow. Uh, I thought they did that very deftly and I, Mm -hmm. and it's metaphors are not as easy as people seem to think they are to come up with. Effective ones are almost like found things. They're not necessarily things that, um, that are easy to generate or create. It's almost like you, you sort of stumble on them and then just run with them. So the fact that the, in general, the world of you have your mind and all of these, emotions are interacting like i love the scene where you know she's sitting at the dinner table that you know there's a couple of different dinner table scenes where it's like oh okay so this is what it looks like when disgust operates the console Mm -hmm. this is what it looks like when anger operates the console and in general again it's metaphorical but in general i really i think the 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 metaphor works pretty effectively like well right now there's there's something in you know in me that's that's driving this response um and some people had uh, i i heard of at least one person who had an issue with thinking that the film was making a statement that we are controlled by our emotions but Mm -hmm. i have when we get more into theme i have a a contrast to that, but okay. I do, I do see at least a case for that, but I have, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But in general, my biggest love of it is I think it's funny and I think there's a lot of clever things to it, but mostly I just love how well the metaphors work for yeah. trying to understand what's going on inside of you. Yeah, it is. It is definitely funny. And I do, that's something I appreciate about Pixar is that they almost always, even in some of their darkest, most melancholy films, they still find humor in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe my biggest, (laughs) I think one of my biggest laughs is again, one of the, one, one thing that I like is that when you're dealing with characters that are completely personified by one thing, joy, sadness, you know, anger, disgust, fear, it, it frees you up to just 
everything about them is then pushed through that filter, including mm. the things that happen to them to the point that sadness, you know, when everybody's like getting awards uh, <laughs> and then she's like, Oh, participation. Like, it's just, it's so perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, moments like that are very funny. Um, and just the way that she, you know, you feel like sadness is going to wind up being a character that actually isn't that funny. I mean, she's dealing mm. with, we're talking about sadness, yeah. but the way she carries herself or just will just like lay on the ground and just has to be dragged along. <laughs> um, you know, that, that looks like sadness, but a lot of that is actually depression, mm, yeah, uh, which yeah. I find interesting. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, in many ways, it's a film that I think this is going to, this is going to sound like damning with faint praise. I feel like it has its heart in the right place. Like it really is trying to engage with some of these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will now talk about some of the things I have a problem with. Okay. I'm, I'm prepared. I will first talk about things that I have just a general problem with, but they're not that big of a deal. And then I'll move into hate. <laughs> um, something to look forward to. Uh, I do feel like there are a couple of, again, it's hard to know for me how much to expect from this film, how much to mm -hmm. demand of this film. And I wonder if I feel like I might look at it differently. If I had a kid, you know, oh, okay. you have a son who's old enough to see the film and old enough to, to understand certain aspects of the film sure. to the point that you can actually use the film as a shorthand, mm -hmm. um, you know, rather than, you know, try to be an actual parent, you instead say, <laughs> look at this movie. Uh, maybe now you'll understand. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Of course, I don't actually think that um, well, I found something I hate now. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just a crutch anyway. Um, <laughs> But the, uh, you know, so maybe if I, if I had, if I had a, a son or a daughter, then I'd be able to embrace some of the, the, the simplification hmm. or the, the, the broadening of certain ideas. But as it is, one of the things that bothers me is just, you know, you're dealing with a, a kid and while I understand that, you know, for, a, that a kid's first instinct until other things come along, their first instinct is joy hmm. and, and just, and fascination and delight and all of these things. Uh, but part of me also feels like, ah, I feel like fear would probably be a big one, hmm. but I feel like fear, disgust and anger are not developed characters. Hmm. Joy is developed. Sadness is developed. Those other three are exactly what you would expect from characters called joy, disgust and anger. Yeah. And that's all well and good, except that joy gets sad sometimes mm -hmm. and sadness not doesn't necessarily get happy, but can get encouraged at the very least. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think, and I wonder if that is an inherent flaw with the, the type of story you're telling. If you want these characters to be, to be developed, well, the nature of a developed character is that they themselves are going to have, a compl uh, complex feelings. Sure. And so that's all. So that's fine as far as the two main characters, but part of me feels like, Oh, I'd like to see more from anger. I would like to see more from fear and more from mm -hmm. disgust. But as it is, the three are very much relegated to not even supporting status, but just third tier. They're usually used as almost completely used as punchlines. They are not developed. I, I think I would have liked it more that at one point, you know, anger's uh, flame head is utilized for something uh, practical, but I think I would like it more when, uh, I don't know, to, to show that fear is necessary. Sometimes mm -hmm. anger is necessary. Sometimes disgust is necessary. Sometimes it's making the argument that sadness is, is not a thing to be 
afraid of, not a thing to shun, that it's, that it's okay. It may not feel good, but it's okay. Um, and that all of these things are related. And I recognize that when you have five characters, maybe you can't delve into all of them. Sure. But I would have liked if each of those other three had their moment in the sun. But as it is, anger is a ha- is just a hassle to deal with. Fear is just ridiculous and completely useless. And disgust uh, is exactly that, just disinterested in anything. And I just felt like you could have done so much more with these characters. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, and then... And, and I would say that's maybe the main thing uh, that that I find not necessarily a wasted opportunity, but I'm aware that they probably could have done more with it and not shattered the integrity of the story they were telling. <laughs> like it would have been interesting if it was more if we saw it as more of a five person team. And then within that, these two characters kind of emerge. But the fact that these two characters are elsewhere and then we cut back to these three characters whenever we need a laugh is something that I think is frustrating at times. Well, I think the, the, the one thing that I would, that I would counter that, cause I actually don't disagree with that that much, but the one thing that I would counter is I definitely, I mean, you've already, you've already said there's not enough time to develop everybody fully, but they do. I think they do more with anger than you're giving them credit for, because he has a pretty strong realization of when he has this idea of, I know how to fix Riley and, mm-hmm. and puts the light bulb in the head gives them the idea. And then, then they have that, that recognition of, Oh, this is, this has been a big mistake. Like he, you know, he wrecked the console. Um, I think it's, it's not, I'm not going to even pretend to make a case that it is anywhere close to as as developed as joy and sadness are. In fact, I don't think it's an accident at all that the top three build characters when they, when the credits roll are joy, then sadness, then bing bong. Yeah. Then you get the other three emotions. So I do, I do understand what you're saying, but I think that they, they do more than, than purely comic relief with at least disgust and anger. I think fear is pretty much comic relief. Fear, fear is just, fear is just meant to be funny. Um, but I think disgust has like, like I even made a comment to my wife at one point where I said, I'm really glad that that moment towards the end when, uh, joy and sadness are on the outside of the window. I'm really glad that they gave that moment to disgust because disgust is the one that makes anger mad mm-hmm. and his flame, you know, flame head comes on and then they open up the console. So she essentially saves that moment. She gets joy and sadness back into the console and I'm glad that they put little touches right there. I think it might be, um, it may, might have been like a, like a timing issue, like where it's sure. like, you don't have the degree to, to, to really, you know, uh, anger also doesn't ha- really have a counterpoint. Like right. anger's counterpoint is kind of joy. Um, disgust's counterpoint is what, you know, like they don't have well, delight, about it, pleasure. Everybody's counterpoint is joy. Pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like that's, and, and that's okay. It does make me wonder like, how did they settle on these five? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the opposite of fear? Is it courage? I feel like those are different things. I don't know. It's, it's so interesting. My, my therapist, uh, loves the film Mm. and he finds it very helpful. And knowing that I'm a a movie person, he will reference it from time to time. Um, but that's the thing. One thing that he has, he hasn't necessarily put this out there the way that I'm about to, Mm. but that like fear is such, you know, like you yourself just said, if there is any, 
character that is absolutely not developed and is used primarily as comic relief. It's fear. Yeah. Meanwhile, fear, fear is usually underneath anger. Mm-hmm. Fear is at the core of almost anything we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is a core emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have that character be the least developed of the bunch, <laughs> feels like a, feels like a problem, especially is- when you realize that fear is often pivotal to survival and yeah. to uh to self-preservation well in early drafts um and i haven't seen tons of behind the scenes stuff but i know that in early drafts it was originally going to be joy and fear that hmm. got sucked out and and that that was going to be the story where they were where they were moving towards now i again from what i've seen i don't know how far they went with that development but i know that a lot of the early drafts it was joy and fear being a counterpoint to each other rather than joy and sadness and that's such a neat idea and i and i like the idea of that and I, and honestly in th- in thinking about like wasted opportunity not a wasted but just like you know unseized upon mm. um you know the the moment when riley is running away from home and she is close she is close to running away from home like she is almost she's i believe on the bus mm-hmm. or at least about to get on the bus um it seems to me the person who should have stopped that the person leading the charge on this is a bad idea that's fear yeah you know some would say common sense but common sense in my opinion is often rooted in fear, <laughs> which is i don't know how this is going to go so i better not do it or i can see a lot of bad things coming from this so i'm going to err on the side of caution yeah yeah so i and not do this i feel like that could have been a moment for fear to step up and take charge and actually show oh yeah f- fear isn't an inherently bad thing hmm. you know just as anger can be and i feel like again each character having a moment i don't i'm not talking about full development each character having a moment where you see the virtue of what they are hmm. that yeah. i think again sadness and joy being the leads no problem sure but sure. these other characters you have them yeah and you can do something with them, especially if you keep cutting back to them. And yeah. like you said, you even have a moment where anger takes charge and at least has the realization of, uh, this was not a good idea. Right. Now right, right, right. that at least develops the character a little bit. But then again, part of me is just like, yeah, but anger is still, there's such a thing as righteous indignation. There's such a thing as righteous anger. It would have been nice to see that. Yeah. Um, but that's just me. Again, that might be my adult sensibilities coming into it and, and recognizing as the film ar- arrives, the film arrives at where I already am, which is, yeah, there's nothing wrong with any of these and uh, specifically. Right. It's about knowing where to put them, knowing yeah. how to use them. And I guess if the film, if the, if the way the film was even made um, focused on that and tried to explore that, maybe it wouldn't leave them anywhere to go at the end i don't know it's hard to say yeah because i do i do see what what i was thinking while you were talking is that i that they they show why riley needs joy and they show why riley needs sadness they show why joy and sadness need fear anger and disgust Mm -hmm. because they're they're each utilized at one point in joy and sadness's ability to get back to headquarters right but the film, I definitely agree, the film does not show us why Riley needs anger, Riley needs fear, right. Riley needs disgust. I don't right. I don't think that the film shows that. Um, and that is, you know, possibly, again, uh, they they told the story they chose to tell. But I think if you it's not a it's not a complaint or criticism that I that I find unrealistic or, you know, yeah. like unfathomable like so many of the others. Um, I will now move 
to the thing I hate. Okay, I've got. I'm. I'm. I'm ready. Okay. The film is operating at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's it conceives of a world and pays it off and, and explores it as much as as not, maybe not as much as I would like, but quite a bit. When you realize how many genuinely bad animated movies are out there or family films where it just is just like, and eh, we're dealing with kids who cares? They're idiots. <laughs> the, Pixar and, and even Pixar has occasionally done that. Mm. Not very often, but I feel like cars Two is that that's just going to say um, cars Two. This is not that this is, this is operating on a, on a, on a pretty where even the, even the concept of it is a little bit like, Oh, toys coming to life. Kids can understand that. Oh, bugs are talking. Kids can understand. This is one where, hey, you know all the, you know that stuff inside you when you feel this way. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, kids aren't going. Kids don't know the term anthropomorphize or personification. <laughs> like they right. don't understand that. And so, again, it's operating at a, at a pretty high level, and for the most part, it's doing a pretty good job of exploring in an intelligent, nuanced way what it's doing. That dinner scene. Oh. The dinner scene where mom's on one side, dad's on the other, Riley's in the middle, um, and then we see mom. What in, we see inside mom's head, mm-hmm. we see inside dad's head. I don't care that every character inside dad's head is is a male. Yeah, I don't care that every character that all the emotions inside mom's head are female. That doesn't bother me. What does bother me is the CBS sitcom way that they behave. Oh, I see. It bothers me that that we have the opportunity because one thing that that's by by going into these characters' heads. First off, it's it's the concept of that is oh, Riley's not the only one that we're going to see inside of. Mm-hmm. We're going to see inside of Dad. We're going to see inside of Mom. That's neat. That that that's that's immediate empathy. It shows that. Even the even the people that we don't understand or that we are viewing in an adversarial kind of way, even they have the same things inside them as we do. They may operate in a different way. They may evolve, have you know changed and evolved in a different way, but they all have the same potential that I do. And you know, and Riley, being a little kid, probably doesn't see her parents as full fledged human beings with all of the same emotional potential that she has. Mm. And so, the fact that we're be- we're being allowed to see that is exciting to me mm-hmm. because it it expands the the world a little bit. But then to have r- really, you're having all the all the emotions in Dad's head just watching a game. Watching a, you know, I don't remember what it was. Hockey, probably. Um, yeah, I think hockey. Hockey's the big, is the family sport, basically. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, as the as the mom is trying to say something, you're like, oh no, what did she say? Oh no, what are we gonna do? And it's just like, come on, seriously, mm-hmm. you could have had. This is a guy who's tremendously stressed out about work. Maybe, just maybe, you could have had him angry about work, preoccupied yeah. with work. A genuine concern, but no, you're one step away from toilet seat. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm. Come on. For a script that's operating at such a high level to go with that and then to go over to mom's head and see that uh, they're actually have a moment where they're fantasizing about some uh, attractive guy that they saw. In a bit. Really? <laughs> this is what we're doing? That's DreamWorks. 
<laughs> That's not Pixar. <laughs> you, you just spit in the face of the poor little light bulb. <laughs> hey, prove me wrong, DreamWorks. Prove me wrong. Uh, but you know what I mean? Shrek like, 5. That's... <laughs> But that's uh, Kung Fu Panda notwithstanding. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, I hate that scene. Like, I was talking before about like, oh, so th- I was reluctant to say wasted potential. Hmm. Yeah. Or a wasted opportunity. I said like, I said unseized upon, which one could say, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. But I specifically, it felt wrong to use the term wasted. That scene is wasted. That scene mm. is wasted potential, yeah. wasted opportunity. We could, we had the opportunity to see everybody there as human. Dad could still blow up, but mm. it comes from a place of insecurity. It comes from a, from a place of fear. It comes from a, of a uh, comes from a worry of not being able to take care of his family. And what have I done, dragging my family all the way out here? for a job that might not work out. I'm terrified. And now my wife is coming at me. Now my daughter's coming at me. You know what? Boom mm-hmm. explosion, but one that's understandable. Yeah. And one that, that it, at, le- at least it, it explores the idea that there's complexity here, mm-hmm. but no sports game. Wait, what's going on? I don't understand. Sure. And, sure. and then go into mom's head. It's like, Oh wow. Let's dream about this, this guy over here. <laughs> and just like, and the fact that it's perfectly, it, if we were to cut inside dad's head and he's thinking about some beautiful, some Island beauty, uh, we would hate that. But because it's her, it's acceptable. It is CBS sitcom crap. (laughs) I'm sorry to put it that way, but it is in my opinion, unacceptable for the film that it is in. Interesting. Everything else in this film, uh, it it may not be operating at the level that I'm talking about, but I'm saying like it's B B plus A minus level. That is C minus D plus at best. Interesting. And I hate Hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Well, I will. I think the only thing that I could say back to that, um, honestly, the the only thing that I can think of is still still doesn't address your criticisms of it. Mm -hmm. I could conceive if I was trying let's say I pitched that let's say I'm in the writer's room and I pitched that I can guarantee you every single person at the table would probably say that will be a terribly heavy scene. Sure. And is that what we want? And, and the other concern would be cause not everything needs to be all light and fluffy. God knows Pixar's, you know, should invest in Kleenex, right. but, but I, 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 what I'm hearing you describe would unquestionably be a closer to reality b a stronger choice in terms of we have now something to say about adulthood in this moment but i i can't conceive of it i I, I, as i'm hearing you talking i'm like yeah why why would they have made a choice like that and the only thing that i can think of that they might have made a choice like that is guys if we try to go deep inside mom and dad's head to this whole dinner scene just now turned into like you know, uh, an actual like mel- melodrama mm-hmm. rather than th- this other thing. And maybe they feared that they were going to lose a little bit of the development that they're actively making with Riley. And you know what? It's a, uh, it's something that I've taken other movies to task before. So this might be a little hypocritical of me to, to in any degree come to inside out's defense on this. But I think that, if you're if you are working towards you know they have that rule in writing where they're like you take the story and anything that's not the story and you throw it out yeah and so it's like okay if this is not the story they're choosing to tell then 
while, yeah, maybe this would have been a, a stronger decision. Like I'm not as offended. Uh, offended is not the right word, but I'm, I'm not as bothered when a, a film chooses not to go down a road. I'm bothered when they claim to have gone down that road and then don't do it. Right. And I think I, I will say this, that I was talking with uh, my friend Jason about this and he said that he was watching some behind the scenes stuff and I think was what was watching the film with commentary. And I believe Pete doctor mentioned that that was the first scene animated. And that was in fact the first scene. It was the first scene written and animated and that they were able to like basically sell the rest of the film on that scene. Fascinating. Wow. So I find that interesting. Sell in the sense of like, Pixar was like, I, this is good. I like this. Sure. Uh, and so it's like, okay, if it's a standalone scene and you're trying to sell the concept, mm-hmm. broads, you don't yet know what it is. Yeah. You don't yet know what the story is. So broad is acceptable. Sure. But to sure. me, once the film, once, once the, the story and the tone is being developed and that scene stays in. Yeah. You need to remove the scene or you need to change it to fit the tone and intelligence level mm. again. And I feel like it's what you're talking, whether you're, whether this is the point you're making or not. I feel like, the, I feel like it is what you, what you talked about, which is it appears to go down this road of, mm. Hey, look, everybody's got this. And that, that road of everybody has what you has, uh, what you have, that's a road of empathy. It's a road of sympathy, but then look at where the road in that scene ends up. Stupid old dad, <laughs> angry dad, sad mom dreaming of somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's no empathy there. There's no sympathy there. It's simple. It's stupid. It's CBS, um, <laughs> which is a rejected uh, uh, slogan. slogan title. I don't know. I don't know why they voted that one down. It's simple. It's stupid. Hey, it's CBS. But you know what? It's as true. It's the truest thing I've said all day. Um, Other than hi, I'm Tyler Smith. And even that I'm a little late. Um, so anyway, so I don't mean to harp on that too much. The, and that's the thing. The reason, the reason that that, if the movie were worse, that scene wouldn't bother me. Or at least oh, not, okay. not to the degree that it does. The reason that it bothers me is because the rest of the film is operating at such a high level. Yeah. Everything. To, let's go back to stuff that we like, and then we'll we'll delve into uh, themes and stuff like that. Um, everything Bing Bong is perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything. Darn right he is. <laughs> yeah. like, and I'll let you talk about that a little bit. Just the design of him. Yeah. It is maybe oh, the, yeah. ber- the best performance Richard Kind has ever given. Oh, and God. he's a guy that I think gives good performances. Consistently. Um, I want to make he's him in, so bad. Whether he's in A Serious Man mm-hmm. or he does a... I don't know. If, did you watch The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? No, my wife has. Okay. I, I, and and she, she tells me that she thinks I would like it. But, he's yeah. in that for two episodes. Uh-huh. And he's just... He's a delight. Yeah. He's really yeah. great. But... Um, yeah, there's a lot when you hear him and you see him, you feel like there's only he's a limited actor. There's only so much he can do. But when you see him, when you or more specifically hear what he's able to do with Bing Bong, it is astounding. Yeah. And yeah. and his arc, there is a reason that he's third build. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they also did some really smart things marketing wise. Like I read a couple of things afterwards. They purposefully kept Bing Bong out of every trailer. Yeah. They purposefully like he was a he was a, a treasure hidden for the film like yeah. and he and he was a, a surprise to any film girl like they'd never seen him his only like if you were to go out and buy the dvd right now he is on the back cover in one scene with joy and sadness and, yeah. and that's it 
you know, there's not a lot of promotion or, or anything like that. But I should, I, I probably shouldn't start with this. Um, but I, I so badly want to say it before I forget or get sidetracked. Okay. The reason why he is my my favorite character in in all of Disney, and and I have thought about this as well. Um, maybe there will be a challenge, but um, I don't think any character in any Disney film or animated film has ever had to give up as much as Bing Bong has to give up. Mm-hmm. Now, other characters have sacrificed themselves. Other characters have, you know, laid down their their personal goals. I think it's not a Disney film, but I think of the Iron Giant. I think mm-hmm. of uh, I think of Big Hero Six. You know, there's an element of sacrifice to some beloved characters there. It's happened before, but I cannot think of another instance as deep as Bing Bong because when we first meet Bing Bong, when we very first encounter him, he wants one thing. And that is to be remembered. Yeah, he wants to be remembered. And in fact, even though he his his line is, "Well, Joy can't, you know, Riley can't get by without Joy. We've got to get you back." A huge part of what is driving him to help them is, "You can take me back to headquarters, and then Riley will remember me." Yeah, he wants to be remembered. He wants to continue to be a part of Riley's life. So when that gut wrenching scene happens he's not just making the choice to i'm gonna i'm gonna fade away he's making a choice to i am giving up the only thing i ever wanted i am giving i am going to be forgotten by riley forever i'll be remembered by joy and sadness and all the rest of them but i'll be forgotten by riley forever and that's the thing simba will always remember mufasa yeah you know there's something and appreciate Mufasa's mm-hmm. sacrifice and mourn yeah. him. Riley, it's literally as though Bing Bong, Bing Bong is choosing to have never existed. Exactly. Yeah. That's horrifying. <laughs> well, That's... but, but and, and, and here's the thing that it's, to me, it's simultaneously validated two things about maturing as a human being. It's simultaneously validated for me the importance of those childhood fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, the, that those hold actually a pretty vital place in our life that we had those, those playtimes and that, that we allow, be allowed to be children and have all these, you know, characters of cotton candy running around through our head. Yeah. Um, but then also validated that there comes a time where we may have to say goodbye to them. And that when we, when we leave them behind that they, that that is, can also be a gift when it yeah. happens at the same at the, at the right time that it is a gift to have them and can be a gift to say goodbye to them yeah. and that whole idea of what it means to mature and it it you know touched on how i feel about nostalgia and the, and, yeah. and those kind of things you know there's a line from a tale of two cities um where i'm i'm spoiling a, a massive amount to say that to even say this line but there's a character who makes a sacrifice and somebody said to them like you don't even seem afraid of death and the character said back i've obtained in death something i never could have obtained in life and that's that i hold a sanctuary in the hearts of the people i love hmm. and i thought about that and i thought yeah that's a beautiful sentiment like you're you you are laying down the sacrifice and you will be treasured forever but bing bong for him it is the most selfless thing i have ever seen a character do and that there have been many characters who have done many selfless things yeah but it, it like we've talked about already they'll be remembered they'll be honored for the wrong he like you said i love the way you put it he is choosing 
to essentially have never existed. Yeah. And, you know, you go now, you save Riley, and <laughs> please don't cry, Reed. Take her to the moon for me. You know, yeah. like, like it's just, it was so beautiful to me. And yes, it's heartbreaking. And yes, people can be like, that's too sad. But I'm just like, the, the, the power of that degree of sacrifice yeah. and laying down that much, getting so little in return, getting literally nothing in return, yeah. I was, it affected me profoundly. And, yeah. and it was, I knew he was going to be a favorite. And the more I thought about him, the more those ideas were reinforced. I was like, he is my favorite, <laughs> like period. Yeah. There's, and I, and I feel like this is what I'm talking about. Like th I talked about the scene that I thought was like, the the film is operating on such a like that is the lowest point that that is the lowest point of the film to the point where it either needed to be completely rewritten or just removed yeah bing bong is the film at its highest yeah absolute and again and this speaks to the brilliance of pixar as a as a company not merely as a creative force but as a company that they chose to let bing bong be a surprise yeah that's great mm -hmm. i love it I love when the marketing department gets it. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Because Bing Bong, it, like you said, it's just a little treasure that you didn't even know was there. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, and, and then, and then turns out to be a vital part of the story, part and vital part the story. of the theme. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'm trying to think if there's, you know, the other things that really jump out at me before we move on. Um, I do sort of like the thing at the end, where you just where you get to see everybody's, uh, yeah. you just go through the whole world of uh, of people's emotions, and you see little things that I. One thing that I like about that is it sort of implies any one of these people could have their own movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even even stuff like this is overly simplistic, but it's and it's funny, but I feel like there's an inherent sympathy in there where you see like the cool girl and inside you realize that fear is running everything and fear is just <laughs> yeah. like, just so that underneath the cool exterior, there's actual, tr actually tremendous anxiety and insecurity and fear. And I, and th that's funny, mm -hmm. but it is also tremendously sad. Yeah. Realization. yeah mm -hmm. And even though it's just part of a montage, it's just like, that's, that's the level of maturity that I like. And I feel yeah. like that's, I don't know, that's, that's the film understanding its theme and mm. understanding the 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 potential of the concept that it has come up with yeah. and i frankly feel like it'd be neat to see an inside out too where anger gets his day in court or yeah, fear yeah. Mm -hmm. the idea of i mean think of how interesting it would be that to have fear be the one character that is not developed and then in the next movie he is the main character because of maybe a certain circumstance yeah that uh that the main character that Riley or somebody is in and suddenly fear needs to understand how, how important he is if, if she is going to get out of a certain circumstance, I feel like that'd be interesting. Sure. Um, so one thing that I so to move into the, into the themes a little bit. One thing that I think is so interesting about the film and something that I think adults can relate to as well. Um, so, okay, I'm going to bring this up and I'm reluctant to do so because it has, it, it is, it's a story being used for political purposes one oh, way or another. Sure. And so, and I want to try to remove political judgment from it, even if I actually do have a philosophical judgment. Hmm. There is a story pre 
perhaps people have heard about it, about a man in Canada who is, I believe, 52 years old. And then, you know, there's been a lot of talk about people identifying as a thing d- other than what they would appear to be. Oh, okay, a man sure. identifying as a woman or whatever. Uh, this guy identifies as a six-year-old girl. Hmm. Now, and I saw an interview with him, and he speaks like a 50-something-year-old man, and he still talks about how he still drives and all that kind of thing. And part of me is like, well, how deep does this identify? When you identify as something, then that's your identity. And it's like, I don't know. Six-year-old girls don't drive. Yeah, right, right. But And I believe... And so he was talking about like how how wonderful it is to just be free of all of all of the adult problems and just being able to play and just have fun. Well, as it turns out, he was married with ch- and had children. Hmm. And I don't remember if he simply left them, but whatever the case may, I think he I think he is no longer with them, hmm. um, so that he can pursue this thing. Now, I am angry when i hear that story yeah but i am also to a certain degree sympathetic yeah. because i understand the appeal of going back you said that you felt it like with nostalgia a lot of us when we look best and the internet is full of this kind of thing you know when you go and look at a website of like toys you used to own oh and stuff yeah like that. it's so much fun to remember that time in your life when you were a little bit more carefree and when you didn't have to worry about taxes or the death of people you love or, you <laughs> yeah, know, to talk yeah. about, yeah, I, I mentioned death and taxes. I didn't mean to, but I just did. <laughs> um, you know, the stuff that, that, that is adulthood, you know, you didn't have to worry about that. Like any number of us would like to go back to that. Sure. But you know, it's, and there's, there's a, in a way there's a certain tragedy that you have to grow up that you have to experience these things that can be very sad, but that's one side of it. The other side of it is that when you're an adult, you you have an adult understanding of things, which means you understand the good things in a deeper way. Yeah. And you probably understand the good things more because you've experienced the bad things. Mm. And that is the conclusion that inside out comes to. Yeah. And so to to wrap things up in in regards to the the story i just told is you know when i see that with that guy i feel bad for his family but i also feel bad for him that he felt now i wind up getting angry at the culture that enables that instead mm-hmm. of tries to treat it well yeah I because i feel like that there is a, a, a an emotional problem there <laughs> but you know it's it frustrates me that for it frustrates me on that man's behalf that he is that he feels unable to capture the joy to use the the character name to capture the joy of childhood even within adulthood because i think that doesn't go away it yeah. might get buried or you might get distracted but it is still there and the fact that he felt he had to abandon his adult lifestyle and live as a child in order to recapture that, I think is a, is a tragedy in an, in a number of ways. Yeah. Um, so to me, the brilliance, the genuine thematic brilliance of Inside Out is the understanding. Because when you see all the, they're not marbles, but the little orbs, the little balls. Yeah, the dreams, the, or memories, I mean. Yeah, and that they are solid colored. Here's yellow, here's blue, here's red, you know, and but most of them are yellow. And it's all pure, Everything is pure, but then a certain memory comes along that was either sad or happy, 
but then you come to realize it's a swirl of both. Mm -hmm. And that, and it's the concept of something being, being bittersweet, which is I had a moment of tremendous sadness, but out of that people encouraged me and I became happy and I appreciate and, and I, and I wouldn't, and, and I might even be happier about the happy thing because it came out of a sad thing. If it was just pure happiness all the time, then it would be kind of a flat line, but like that's the idea of peaks and valleys. And so, um, and I feel like that is such, that is such a mature thing. And that is a thing that I think is vital for children to understand. Yeah. yeah, I remember my, my mom gave me a book when I was a kid and the book was, it's okay to be angry. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, as a kid felt like I was not allowed to be angry, mm. um, because I felt that people would not like me and that I, I associated a lot of shame with it. Um, yeah. and my mom, somebody wrote that book because I clearly am not the only kid to feel that way. Sure. And my mom gave it to me and I remember reading it and just thinking like, this is interesting, which is maybe why I look at something like inside out and realize like, Oh, but like there's nothing wrong with being afraid. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with being disgusted sometimes or being angry. Um, which is why maybe I want those characters to have their moment in the sun, but whatever. Um, and so there, it's important that children understand that there, that yes, something will hurt and it's bad. You know, it, it sucks when something hurts, whether it be physically or emotionally, but that doesn't have to be the end. Yeah. Tremendous joy can come out of horrible sadness. And I can't think of a more Christian idea than that. Oh, absolutely. And, the, and, and what's interesting is that the, the happiness, it doesn't negate the sadness, but it redeems it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so that's something that I, that I wanted to, to talk about. Um, the companion film is one that it was hard for me to pick. And when I first picked this, I didn't, e- I didn't immediately remember why I did. Hmm. Um, but it, I, the companion film is Alexander Payne's about Schmidt, which came out in 2002 starring Jack Nicholson. And th- the way I have heard, so in inside out, we're looking at a certain type of coming of age. It's not puberty, but it's a certain type of coming of age where you experience where the character of Riley experiences a certain type of loss for the first time. And people have described about Schmidt as a coming of age film for the middle aged or golden years, whatever. Mm. When you think of think about everything that happens in about Schmidt, he retires, his daughter gets married, his wife dies. Yeah. Literally everything that he uses to identify himself, not unlike Riley with Hockey Island and fa- and and Family Island and all right. of these other things, they are literally crumbling. And what is he left with? He's left to fi- figure out what who who he is. Yeah, he doesn't have an identity anymore, so he's he has to find it. And so he goes on the road. He goes to you know, maybe I can salvage this thing with my daughter. Who knows what the what the situation is? Um, and and as he's you know, not necessarily lashing as he's grasping for anything, you know, one of the things that he winds up doing often for comedic effect mm-hmm. is he winds up, you know, sponsoring this kid in Dugu, <laughs> uh, which he writes letters to. And that's basically how the film uh, incorporates narration is he's writing letters to, to this kid who probably can't read, no. but you know what? He's it's, 
it, it's a it's sort of a cathartic thing for him. Um, and he probably, and even he probably understands like, this is nothing, you know, it's just, I, it's basically a journal entry that someone's going to throw away. Mm. Um, but then there at the end and, and at the end he, the, I wrote down some of his narration he said, and I, you, a moment ago, you talked about like not wanting to well up. I have a hard time with this because a lot of this is stuff that like my own, my own dad talked a lot about. Mm. Um, I know we're all pretty small in the big scheme of things. And I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me? And then uh, this other quote, and I think these are all part of the same monologue and I might actually have them in the wrong order. Uh, Relatively soon I will die. Maybe in 20 years, maybe tomorrow. It doesn't matter. Once I am dead and everybody who knew me dies too, it will be as though I never existed. Incidentally, to go back to that bing bong thing. Yeah. Uh, what difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of. None at all. Mm. That's a, that is a despairing attitude yeah. at oh, the yeah. end. But that actually is not the case. There is a moment. The moment the film ends on hope. Um, it ends with him getting, uh, oh my gosh, it's, it's one of my favorite Jack Nicholson acting moments of all time. Oh, unquestionably where he gets home from his trip. He was not able to keep his daughter from marrying an idiot, a nincompoop. Uh, a nincompoop. <laughs> um, he feels like he's a failure. He opens his mail and he sees that he has a piece of mail from Indugu yeah. or more specifically from the, you know, the, the, the foundation or whatever that, yeah. that uh, helps in Dugu. Um, and he opens it up and, and one is just a, a very simple painting of a little, a, a small stick figure holding the hand of a big stick figure. Yeah. That's ba- about as simple as can be. Like yeah. there's no guarantee that the small stick figure is in Dugu. The big stick figure right. is, is Schmidt, whatever it is. Um, but that's, that's definitely how it is interpreted. And he just looks at it and it's just like the most basic thing. And, and he cries and it's this, mm-hmm. and it's, and, and he looks up and he's smiling through the tears. Mm-hmm. Cut to black. Cut to black. Movie's over. Yeah. It's such a beautiful moment. And that idea of smiling through the tears that like he got to a very low place in his life, was looking for connection and good came out of bad and it's it's not a one-to-one connection with with inside out but that idea that moment at the end that first off he wouldn't have done this good thing if not for the bad things that had happened right but on top of that he probably wouldn't have been able to appreciate this wonderful moment of connection had he not been experiencing such extreme despair in that moment sure you know all of his islands had fallen away and what is he left with literally nothing except maybe this one bit of connection that he didn't even think about yeah um that he wasn't even sure that people were even that he was even getting yeah. his letters or anything yeah. yeah and it's just such a wonderful it, it, listeners if you haven't seen about Schmidt, seek it out it's a really marvelous film i absolutely love it oh i adore it it is, yeah. it is maybe it's hard to say it's maybe a career best for Jack Nicholson. Uh, he does marvelous work. And- top, yeah. Uh, in terms of performance, top five easily. Now you said something earlier, uh, and and I'll, I'll I'll be brief with these thoughts. But I had a few thoughts as you were talking. The um, I think it might be closer to a one to one connection than you may initially think. Okay. Because wow me. 
Well, well, now the pressure's on. Um, but I, you're so I, smart, lackey. Yeah, that's right. I know. <laughs> but I was I watched it again last night, and of course, it was um, a bit contrived in my own head because I knew I was watching it with the specific intention of how does this relate to Inside Out? When I got to that ending, I can remember something. I did not think of this on my own, but I I wish I could remember where I heard it. It was either in a casual conversation with a friend or I read it somewhere. Um, But thinking about the difference between a breakthrough and a breakdown. Yeah. And uh, I've repeated this often. I just didn't come up with it by myself that, um, Oftentimes, the biggest breakthroughs do come on the heels of a breakdown, yeah. which is almost exactly how I would sum up the conclusion of Inside Out. That it's like she's she's not made well. Riley is not made well until she is finally given the freedom and the permission. Sadness saves the day yeah. and comes in and operates the console and just lets her be sad. I heard one thing and I just want to hit and run on this idea. I heard some criticisms about sadness's general look mm-hmm. um, because people, they, people want to draw whatever conclusions they want to draw. I think all, largely they'll criticize the wrong kinds of things sure. uh, when they get into too deep of politicizing images yeah. and things like that. But they criticize like, Oh, so you're saying, short and rather round people are are sad and it's like well she's shaped like a tear like they said that they said that in any behind the scenes things like each of the emotions have a specific shape that they thought embodied that emotion and she's shaped like a tear which is a little round typically um but they were saying like oh that that uh you know creates a bad image for sad people and i'm like this is arguably the character that the film ends on saying is the hero yeah because she's the one who saves the day she's the one who when she finally gets back in the console she sadness operates the console and riley is able to break down and that is able to connect her again once she's finally able to and you know sadness had done it earlier for bing bong and she even says there's a line in inside out when she keeps touching the memories and she said i don't know what's going on with me it's like i'm going through a breakdown Mm -hmm. and and so i just those two words kept bouncing around in my head as i was watching that final moment of about schmidt and thinking about the themes of inside out that it's like sometimes if we really can't i you know i've had many moments in my life countless moments in my life where um i was so stressed and so uh, pent up with something that i couldn't wrap my head around and i was still trying desperately to get on top of it but it was overwhelming me and it wasn't as much as I would love to do it a different way, it wasn't until something happened to make me mad enough or sad enough that finally all of those things began to be released that it's like the old myth of Pandora's box where it's like all the nasty monsters comes out, but there's still at the end, the thing that's left in Pandora's box that also comes out is hope. And I think there's, there's really something to that idea of the harder we try to resist the breakdowns, the further we're delaying our own personal, like perhaps breakthroughs in yeah. what we're really trying to progress forward in. And I love that Inside Out took took the guts, as you as you've said, took the guts to to make that message, to make that statement about that sadness is important, that sometimes there is, you know, the only way that we can function past these things is if we'll let sadness have its day. And I think not to uh, not to shut down your 
very well articulated and valid criticisms. I'm not trying to shut them down, but I, I took away that by sadness being validated when throughout the course of the movie, joy was so like, we don't know why sadness is here. She's just, you know, stay, keep the circle of sadness over there by validating sadness in such a profound way in such a specific way for me, it retroactively validated the entire team. And I wouldn't disagree with you that they're underdeveloped as characters, Mm -hmm. but to me, validating sadness did validate the team because it's like, well, here's an emotion that we would normally define as negative, normally try to avoid Yet here we see how important it is to our development and to to even being able to get back to joy is by spending that time through sadness. And to me, that that said that, hey, even even these rough places have their have their moment when we when we need them, we really can't do without them. And uh, and for uh, Jack Nicholson in About Schmidt. I really think that he had not just the the the, the image of two people holding hands like no. he he'd not connected with anybody desperate no. to try and no. other people had tried to connect with him and he'd shut it down like nude Kathy Bates but you know people had tried to connect with him and he'd shut it down he'd try to connect with other people and shut it down and then an image of connection finally provides the, the the breakdown and I think breakthrough that he was needing. Well, and when you think about what joy is, the, the character of joy mm-hmm. and what she is striving for. And then when you look at what Warren Schmidt is striving for, uh, or maybe not striving for, but both of them are champions of the status quo mm-hmm. champions of like, this is how we've done things. We know how it works. It's not perfect. But it's pretty good. So yeah. if we just keep this going, we're good. And, but of course you can't do that. And so all this stuff crumbles. And then, you know, we don't know. And we're, we're not sure what to do. Cause like our identity is often the status quo. Yeah. Um, and so in both cases, and what I think is interesting about joy is after a while, and this, this is to the credit of the writers and Amy Poehler that after a while, it takes a while because for, for the first half of the film, I'd say that sadness is viewed as a nuisance. Mm -hmm. Then as you go along, you come to realize like, man, joy is really overbearing. Yeah. And it's like, she's a real control freak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's starting to bother me. Why won't you just let sadness have a moment? Why don't you just Mm -hmm. treat sadness as a person? Why don't you just, you know, and that happens completely organically. It's, it's a complete, it just fades in this feeling as opposed to there's a specific moment when it happens. And, And I love any film that can just make me go from one feeling to the exact opposite without even without, without me really even noticing it. Yeah. And so, uh, and in that same way, it's now Schmidt, so much of it is out of his control. You know, right. he's going to retire when he's supposed to. He can't control that his wife has passed away. And so he'll latch onto the one thing he can control. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able, I will control if my daughter marries a nincompoop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even that is out of his control. And so he feels like a failure. Undoubtedly, Joy feels like uh, a failure up to a point because they failed to maintain the status quo. But as it turns out, once that crumbles, something so much more tremendous. Again, it's not it doesn't mean that his wife dying is a good thing, but 
that was going to happen no matter what. And so then the question is, now what? And yeah. what he does, what Joy does, is they just let it go. She lets sadness take the reins. He is willing to let himself connect with somebody else. Um, and in that moment, there's, like you said, there's this tremendous breakthrough. And you realize how wonderful just how wonderful life can be because of all the different aspects of it yeah. there are. And so I have a, a, you know, we're all familiar with this passage because of that song that I actually don't care for because it is so associated with any type, any type of sixties pop culture. Um, Ecclesiastes verses uh, three verses one through eight. There is a time for everything and a season to every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. As I have said many, many times before, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that though many people will talk about it as a crutch, they will talk about it as though it is simplistic. I look at this passage and it acknowledges it doesn't simply say, I have the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Now, I'm sorry, where? Um, <laughs> it doesn't say that. That's actually, that's a, you know, that's a song version of a certain aspect of the sure, Bible. Yeah. It doesn't only say that. It says that we have joy uh, found in Christ, but it also acknowledges the tremendous suffering Christ had to go through, the suffering that we will go through, and it's and here it specifically says in the most hopeless book of the Bible, one could say if you look at it from a certain angle, um, it says, yeah, there's a time for everything. It doesn't say there's a time to laugh, a time to heal, a time to dance. It doesn't say that. It says there's also a time to weep and tear down and mourn. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, you shouldn't live in that, but you also shouldn't deny it and say that, no, 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 there is no, no, mm -hmm. we should not be mourning. We should be laughing. We should be dancing. That's what we should be doing because we're saved. But part of the, part of the joy of being saved is understanding that we have reason to mourn mm -hmm. and that's okay provided we don't stop there. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I, that I wanted to, as we get towards the end, um, one of the things I wanted to focus on is that about Schmidt could have ended with despair and inside out while it probably wasn't going to, cause it's a family <laughs> film, sure. it could have ended with despair, but in both cases, uh, redemption comes along and, sometimes because of a choice that was made in the moment or perhaps a choice that was made a while ago and is only now coming to fruition. And I'm reminded of, as I tend to be, I'm reminded of uh, a sentiment by C.S. Lewis in which he talks about, I believe this is in The Great Divorce, I don't remember. He talks about the idea that Eternity is the nature of eternity is perspective. It throws everything into perspective. So if you 
if you go if you go to heaven and you and you spend eternity with God in his joy and in his happiness you look back and let's say you had a remarkably difficult life you'll look back on that life and even though a lot of terrible things happened one way or another you wound up choosing God you wound up choosing life and as a result that eternal joy will wind up going will work retroactively because eternity has no starting point. Um, There's the moment that you entered it, but then you're entering into this larger thing. And so eternity will look back at this finite time that was very sad. And while it will not negate the fact that it is sad, it will redeem that sadness Mm -hmm. and turn it into a thing of joy to the point where you wind up being not necessarily, it's, I'm reluctant to say thankful because of what that means, but you will wind up being thankful for the, hor- for the, for the bad things that have happened because one way or another, they turned you to joy. Mm. Flip side is true as well, that if you wind up not choosing God and then you live an eternity of isolation and selfishness and not merely sadness, but I'd say just the lack of joy, then let's say you had a wonderfully charmed life. Mm. You will look back on that and say, if only something had happened in my life to make me realize how much I needed God. And suddenly your charmed life becomes just as damned as you are because it's the thing that led you to where you are right now. And so the point that I, that I want to make is that, and one of the things that, that is wonderful about Inside Out is that the, the, the mixing of joy and sadness or anger or fear or any of these other things, none of them are inherently bad. The stuff that might feel bad can still be redeemed. Yeah. And then, this, then the redemption will feel all the sweeter because you went through these bad things. And you might not even see them quite a you might not even see them as bad. One example, and it's tough, it's tough for me to say this because I don't like to I don't like to put it in these terms. And I've said it on the show before. It is entirely possible that I would not have asked Jen out when I did had my dad not died a few weeks before. Mm. I was already thinking of going out with her. I was the head of a community group that she was in, and I did not I did not think it would be a good idea to ask her out if I was, for some reason, if I was in charge of a community group she was in. I believe the joke that I made at the time was, you know, if we had a fight or something like that, I didn't want to be like, all right, guys, today we're going to talk about loyalty you know, or something like that. That was the joke that I made. And I, had t- and, uh, in early April I got together, I, w- we all went to Denver for my brother's wedding. And so I was talking with my dad about, and he was very excited that there was like this girl that I like, and he was like, mm-hmm. ah, you should go for it. And then I told him my objection and he said, and he said like, look, it's good of you to think that, but these community groups come and go. You should just, if you want to do this, you should do it. And I was like, Oh father, you're so silly. (laughs) And I didn't say it that way, but, uh, (laughs) that was kind of my attitude. And, uh, and then 11 days later he was dead and I was like, well, you know, Hey, we don't have that much time on this earth. So maybe I will do this. Uh, if for no other reason than because he thought I should, and I'll just do that. 
And so I asked her out uh, in late April. We went out on our first date and then we had all of summer apart, but we kept in touch Had our second date in September. And the rest, as they say, is history. Mm. And as time has gone on, and this is the thing that I've said, is that it's, it's a hard thing to admit. It feels wrong to admit, but it is true. I love her more than I miss him. Mm. Now, of course, I still miss him tremendously. And I mean, the fact that I talk about him every freaking week on this show uh, <laughs> probably speaks to that. But the fact is, and maybe, and maybe things would have happened another way. Who knows? But the fact is, I can absolutely say that I probably would not have asked her out at that time had this not happened. Yeah. That doesn't mean that what happened was good. It doesn't mean that I don't miss him. But... And, and I'm, I'm reluctant to say that it even that my love for my wife and my, my and my marriage redeems his death, but good has come out of it. Yeah. To the point that the good, there's this concept of filling a void that I was filling the void that he left with her, but you know what? It overflows now. It like, it more than fills that void. To, and and that's a that's a thing that that feels wrong to say, but it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, like you know, if if we want to bring things back to the con- to Christianity specifically, uh, whatever horrible things have happened in your life, um, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that they were horrible, and there's nothing wrong with allowing yourself to mourn that, to feel that. But you can. You know, but you can also turn to, you can choose joy. You can choose uh, an ultimate joy that will retroactively go back and redeem that sad thing. Right. Not negate it, but it will redeem it. And then you can actually, to go back to, I don't know the verse, maybe you do, but the idea that it will eventually be a thing that you, that you can, that you will shout from the rooftops, this thing, either that I did or this thing that happened to me. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. It was part of who I am and it, and it one way or another, it led me to God and here I am. Hmm. And so, I don't know, I've been kind of talking around in some, some strange circles. What, what, what do you think about any of this? You know? <laughs> well, um, and I don't, I don't think you've been uh, talking as strangely as it may feel like. I, I think a lot of what you're saying is, is, is vital. I think we have a tendency to feel like things are expected of us certain emotions are expected of us and if we don't exhibit those emotions then something is wrong with our faith or something is wrong with with us and while i do think that we could risk going in the other direction and thinking that that is now the final verdict right um which which i don't think is true i think there needs to be a healthy balance my friend and i mostly him talk a lot about um you know my friend nathan and i we talk about knowing what what time period you're in knowing what season you're in i resist using the word season because i feel like that has almost now when we're talking about things become kind of a christianese thing Mm -hmm. but knowing knowing if you are in a time of war knowing if you're in a time of grief knowing if you're in a time of of struggle you know and you act differently when you're in those things Mm -hmm. and i think we have a tendency when we are embattled or when we are downcast or when, when things are, are pushing down on us, we have a tendency to just completely deny that. Like, no, 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 that can't be true. I'm not going to let that be true. And, and, and we shove it all uh, underneath instead of really just giving it its due season. And I love the way you put it about 
things being redeemed because we must remember it does not retroactively, it does not somehow mean that we had to go through this. I get more and more um, frustrated when people say like, well, I had to make those mistakes to get me here. Right. Not that not that I take issue with their sentiment. I think I understand what they're trying to say. That they that they now look back and as you've put it, that they're now grateful for where they've come from and where they are at, and that that's a completely healthy sentiment. But obviously, through the lens of my faith, I want so badly to say no. We we aren't supposed to make mistakes. That's the nature of the definition of the word. Yeah. We aren't supposed to make mistakes. But I think that if we are willing to go through the processes, that God can be so good at redeeming it no. that we almost look back and wonder, how in the world would he have done that if I hadn't made that mistake? Right. And I think, again, through the lens of my faith, that speaks to just how good God is at redeeming all of the things that we would would write off. And I've tried to tell, I, I said it to three different people on Facebook this week, just in private messages and stuff that we're struggling with various issues and, and problems like your, your current suffering, whatever it is, is not the final verdict on your life. And that doesn't mean that you have to just buck up and start denying it. Just be in the, in the period where you need to feel poorly. And I've joked before when, you know, rough thoughts sort of take hold of me. I sometimes say to them, usually out of a certain degree of anger, to validate anger a little bit. Sure. Um, I'll usually say to them like, okay, you can have today. Like, fine. Right. You, you can have today. I can't remember if I've said this on the show before, or if you and I have talked about it off mic, but I've heard it before. I don't remember if you've said it on the show, but I, where I say, you know, okay, you, you can have today. You don't have me. You don't have my family. You don't have my future, but you can have today. And I hope you're happy with it. Cause you, cause, cause today, sure. Today was ruined. Today was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> Not referencing the movie, but the classic. No, book. I got it. I got it. But um, you know, I'm being a bit silly here. But the point I'm trying to make is just that. Okay, fine. Today, today I'll write off. But tomorrow I'll wake up, and through the lens of faith, I'm going to use I'm going to use Christian language here. Um, I believe that. The scripture says his mercies were new, they're new every morning, mm -hmm. which means that his mercies are not dried up from the mistakes I made yesterday. His mercies are not somehow debunked or defaulted because yesterday was a bad day. Yeah. You know, today I wake up and there's a fresh start, there's a fresh opportunity, and I need to not be so afraid of the, the negative or the poor feelings that come, and I just need to let them have their time and let them take their process, take me wherever they're going to take me, because in Inside Out, I love it, it's a subtle thing. But I love it. Uh, maybe the only time that a character inside the console does this, but after Sadness has had Riley go through her breakdown, Sadness reaches for Joy's hand. Hmm. And Sadness is the one that brings Joy, literally and figuratively, Sadness is the one that brings Joy back to the console. Yeah. And I think that's key. Maybe they were trying to make a statement yeah. there, maybe they weren't, but I think there's something to that. Well, it speaks to this idea that all of these are necessary and let's put to put it in Christian terms. I feel like we tend to, we don't like to feel sadness. We don't like to feel anger or any of these other things. We view these as negative emotions and we feel like if we feel, we, we think that if we feel them openly, that people might question our faith or mm. that our faith is not genuine or something like that. Um, but I've said it before that, you know, when, when Jesus saw that Lazarus was dead, uh, he cried. Now, 
he knows he's Jesus and he knows what he's about to do. Right. Literally, if there's anybody who shouldn't be crying about this, it's the guy who knows that you guys just get ready for this. Right. But he still cried over it. He still mourned over it, but he didn't, it didn't end there. That's the thing. There's nothing wrong with feeling sad, with feeling angry, provided it doesn't end there. Mm. Sadness takes control because that was what was needed in the moment to feel that thing. But eventually she takes Joy's hand and pulls her up and says, we're going to need you in a moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? And so I feel like this is a two pronged message as it, as it would be, which is Christians tend to feel like I, we, I need to emphasize joy above all else and act as though I I no longer have any use for sadness because I have Jesus. Well, Jesus himself felt sadness all the time, but that's beside the point. Um, actually that might be exactly the point, but um, anyway, uh, but the idea is like, I shouldn't feel this way. And Ecclesiastes and any, uh, and so many other places in the Bible, it says, no, it's fine to feel these things. Yeah. Oh yeah. So let yourself feel them because you might actually, you know, you might drive yourself insane by the way. Uh, so that's going one way. The other way is it's perfectly fine to feel these things, but it's important you know the, these don't have to be the end. These right. do not have to be, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be uh Schmidt saying what difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of. Right. None at all. Right. Smash cut to black. No. It doesn't have to be that. Right. It can be the, the realization that no, you do have a connection with someone and that connection can be the, the note that you end on. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and so it's important to look at both of those, which is why those marble looking things, the, the, those memories at the end, it's not just, here's a yellow one. Here's a blue one. You know, right. it's this rainbow of colors that's that in the end, look, so much more beautiful than just a wall of yellow. Right. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, I think we'll go ahead and end there. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff. So if you want to email or more specifically, if you'd like to comment, please do if for no other reason, so that you can let us know your favorite Disney characters (laughs) and where, and what we might've forgotten. But anyway, so you can go to more than one lesson.com and, uh, and leave a, uh, leave a comment there. You can email me Tyler more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on twitter at more lessons you can follow reed on twitter right yes at reed lackey at reed lackey you can also like us on facebook so i think that is about it this was a great deal of fun reed thanks for being here thanks for having me and thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time bye